Welcome to the NM Cool podcast. I'm your host, Mary Charlotte Domandi. NM Cool is the New Mexico Coalition to Enhance Working Lands, and its fifth annual summit is happening in the spring of 2022. This is a time of uncertainty and profound change when so many of us are fatigued from multiple stresses, and so it's more important than ever to focus on effective collaboration and good working relationships. This series of six podcasts addresses some big topics facing people who are working with the land, and we hope it helps you stay on course and resilient. We're talking today to Kendall Chavez. She's Food and Hunger Coordinator in the office of New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. And as you will hear, she's very much of a systems thinker and looks really at how a broken system can bring about suffering despite the best efforts of the people inside that system. She's working to streamline and build up New Mexico's food system and engage local communities in the process. Welcome, Kendall Chavez. Thank you for having me. So you have your coordinator of this food and hunger program, which is all about addressing food insecurity, protecting New Mexico's resources like water and soil, and keeping food in state. Is that about right? Yes. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to capture it. So I was brought I was brought into this role back in June and really was asked to build off of the governor's legacy and her deep commitment to childhood hunger specifically, as you know, is a major sort of perennial challenge that we have here in the state. We, you know, the governor in this office really sees opportunity in connecting New Mexico's agricultural resources, keeping water and soil and land and keeping that for growing food for people that need it most, i.e. children, seniors and, and our tribal and rural populations that really are detached from the state's food system. So again, I was asked to come in June and to build off of this idea of building a framework for a larger food, farm, and hunger initiative that again, really paid attention to food insecurity and nutrition security while also honoring the opportunity that we have here to invest in ag in a more comprehensive and more strategic way. Talk about some of the kinds of problems that we see here in New Mexico, in rural communities, in urban communities, hunger, food insecurity, food deserts. So New Mexico, like everywhere in this country, we have a deep sort of bureaucratic systems problem where our programs aren't connecting, the people implementing programs aren't connecting, our food system actors, so a farmer and a rancher and a food processor and a buyer aren't connected in any strategic way. You know, looking at schools as an example, it is exponentially easier for them to buy a commodity product through a large distributor because that system's already built for them. It's easy, they make a call or they do it online and the food shows up the next day. To try and rebuild a localized food system is something that while it's in all of our cultures and our blood and our, you know, our bodies and our, you know, it's in us, it's, we're trying to rebuild something that we don't really remember how it works. And so New Mexico's problem is more dramatic because we're very rural, very rural, very remote, um, which in some ways are assets when you look at agricultural communities um, in our state and nationally, but create challenges with moving food, distributing food, um, and getting food to market as an example. We also have some pretty unique challenges and assets here around our 23 sovereign nations that are overlaid on top of the geographic border of New Mexico, um, which again creates some sort of cross-jurisdictional entanglement issues of many different governments trying to work together on this very complex problem of hunger and food systems work, which nobody from my perspective in the country has figured out. We're trying our best to see if we can again connect the dots between addressing hunger and nutrition security, so getting high quality, culturally relevant food to people that need it, while also investing more strategically in our farmers, our ranchers, and our food businesses, which historically in New Mexico, 
we've done from my perspective the, the local level at the community level but the state hasn't done a very good job of putting dollars where our mouth is in terms of really seeing ag as a priority sector um, when the governor came into office she did establish sustainable ag and value-added ag as one of the top nine economic priorities for the state and so that's another sort of pillar or tenant that we're really leaning on for this work how do we encourage sustainable operations that are conserving water and soil and cultural operations and keeping that food here for New Mexicans. So if I understand correctly, you've got a whole food sector, a whole agricultural sector, and then you've got people who are hungry and food insecure, but we don't have a local regional set of food systems to connect them to one another. Exactly. One of the things that you told me when we were talking the other day that I thought was kind of shocking was we're exporting 95% of the food we grow here in New Mexico, our beautiful chilies and onions and pecans and everything else and all kinds of stuff. And we're importing 98% of our food. That seems to a layman, that seems nuts. No, I don't mean pecans. Yeah. (laughs) And to experts, it's nuts too, right? What we're experiencing here is not unique to New Mexico. It's happening all over the country. Yeah, when you look at our commodities or our really big, I use the word corporate ag, not to be disrespectful, but the large farming operations, you know, they're producing, like you said, onions, chili, pecans, dairy, and, you know, ranching and meat production is our other big, our other big sector. We can only eat so many onions and so much chili and drink so much milk. And many of our populations don't consume dairy and don't drink milk. So there's a challenge with that sector as well, although we know it's a critical part of our of our agricultural business here in the state. So the issue of exporting the majority of our crops and while and then importing the other, you know, 98 percent of our crops is a fascinating conundrum that a lot of our, our partners are struggling with, including the Department of Ag and, and farming and ranching organizations and nonprofits and, and here in the governor's office. One way that a dear friend and partner has challenged me to think about this, too, is that we're not only exporting 95% of our food, we're exporting 95% of our water. And then when you look at the agricultural sector, which this is a contentious issue that I know many people have varying opinions on, but ag, irrigated ag, uses 76% of the last time they did, um, there was research done on this, 76% of our water is going to agriculture, and then that product is all being exported. So that is a very complex, challenging problem that I am not going to solve and we are not going to solve today, but it is sort of the, the layer of the onion that has to be really looked at pretty deeply if we want to change New Mexico's food system to be as adaptive and resilient in the future as possible. Let's say we were to just wave a magic wand and that food that we were exporting were to stay here. I mean, I'm not saying that that's practical tomorrow, but what is the nature of the water cycle so that, you know, ceasing to export that food, but keeping it here would retain water on our land. Mm-hmm. My, my gut reaction, the first piece of that, I mean, onions and chili also aren't really water intensive crops, but we know things like pecans. And again, I don't mean to call pecans out as a crop, but that crop is very water intensive. And so if we were to wave a magic wand, we likely would not be planting any more pecan trees anywhere in the state as we look into the future. What we're through the Food, Farm, and Hunger Initiative and this long-term framework and plan that we're putting together, really looking at 
creating market opportunities for operations for the, any agricultural operation. We're not going to leave anybody out, but encouraging water conservation, soil conservation, and providing sustainable long-term markets for those commodities or those products in state. We hear that even from the larger agricultural producers that they would love to keep their product here. Again, we can only eat so many pecans and I mean, New Mexicans would probably push back on anybody saying that you can't eat endless chili, right? But it's a huge <laughs> part of, of our diet here. But you know, again, really providing a stable marketplace, the same way that corporate agribusiness provides a stable marketplace for, for food products internationally and in other states. You know, our pecans all go to Georgia and they're aggregated with Georgia products and they go over to China and other countries. Being as strategic and really thoughtful about our local and regional food systems as we are about corporate ag is the direction that we're hoping to head. So does that mean when you look at the agricultural land in our state, I mean, many people listening probably go to the farmer's market and you can pretty much find everything you need to eat. Mm-hmm. Well, not necessarily every, almost everything you need to no eat. No citrus, at, no, yeah, avocado. Yeah, right. A few things missing, yeah. but um, at the farmer's market. But when you look at sort of the big picture, two million people in this state, so and so much agricultural land, are you really thinking about encouraging or incentivizing people to shift what they're producing? That is the long-term goal, although I can't give you like a tangible, this is the the strategy there, but the hope is, again, without isolating any specific sector or type of operation, financially incentivizing practices that, again, will conserve resources for the future and that keep the food resources here is what we're really hoping to again financially incentivize and we you know we don't have any control over private property and things like that and private businesses but we are really excited about the idea of incentivizing and investing in ag sustainable ag the same way that we invest in other industries i would imagine that the carbon footprint of keeping food in state would go down i mean i don't know if anyone's done the math on this but if you're exporting 95% and importing 98%, once that starts to change and you're keeping more of your food in state, that would make a huge, I mean, think of all the trucks that we wouldn't need driving commodity food long distances. Absolutely. And then what we learned throughout the pandemic as well, you know, we, um, again, with, with the governor's vision to really immediately address childhood hunger during the pandemic, she tasked all the agencies to really really work together in a way that's pretty radical for government, I think, anywhere. And these agencies produce millions and millions of meals for for communities, right, through child nutrition programs and our senior meal programs, which were a huge asset as people were staying home from work and, and facing real economic disparities and things like that. So one thing we learned throughout the pandemic, you know, again, our really remote and rural and specifically tribal communities those that needed food most did not have access to the large corporate distributors who are trucking in food from other states and trucking them in internationally. And so that's part of the vision of this framework is realizing that rural communities have the resources, at least the intellectual and cultural resources that they need to grow food for their communities, but they may be missing really critical things that you need for a food system to function. Things like food processing plants, places to aggregate food from different farmers, places to pack the different food and aggregate it and then ship it out. So again, thinking really critically that all of our resources can't be in Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Uh, we really need to diversify the types of investments that we're making in rural communities so that when and if these sort of catastrophes happen again, and again, planning for the future in a time when water and, and other resources are a bit more limited, that communities have the physical resources they need to grow food, produce it, process it, and get it to their own people. We are speaking little over a month since the legislative session here in New Mexico ended. 
and some money was appropriated to address all of this. What does that look like? What are we going to see that we haven't seen yet? What kind of augmentation of existing programs are you looking at? So this first, the 2022 legislative session was the first step in, again, this long-range, long-term framework around really encouraging the intersection between our food systems and serving and making sure that food is getting to food insecure people. So this session, we focused on purely budget, which isn't maybe as interesting to external stakeholders. It's a little less public in the sense that it's harder to track because there's not individual pieces of legislation that you can look at and watch move through the committee process. But we are really excited. You know, we came in with the executive. Um, the governor's office really recommended a $24 million budget package to shore up some immediate needs that we have around basic infrastructure, things like cold storage, distribution, things that really rose to the surface throughout the pandemic, but were challenges far, far before the pandemic. And also investing in some tried and true programs, things like doubling the double up food bucks, which if I'm a SNAP participant, if I spend $10 on local fruits and vegetables, I actually get $20 to redeem programs like that that we know work. And then also investing in programs that we know nationally work that haven't really been um, implemented here in the state yet. So things like fruit and vegetable prescription programs and other innovative ways to get high quality fruits and vegetables when possible, but healthy food in general, local, ideally, to communities through some various programs. Can you talk for a second about the fruit and vegetable prescription program? This is literally a doctor taking a prescription pad and saying celery or, you know, Yes, and it's actually it's a my my dear partners who are helping us think through this. Well, it's actually pretty a quite a complicated program. Intuitively, it makes sense. Doctors should be and healthcare clinics should be thinking about nutrition as a way to address things like diet related disease and also for for folks coming into a doctor's office who are screened for food insecurity. It would make sense to prescribe high quality nutritious food locally grown when possible. So here in New Mexico, we're building off of about five to 10 years of work that's happened through nonprofits. So the New Mexico Farmers Marketing Association, our COPE project out on Navajo Nation, as well as Presbyterian, who have done long-term work around creating a New Mexico version of this program. So basically, and it'll look a bit different in different parts of the state, but we have an initial pot of 500,000, which is just to get the program off the ground, see how it works and, and really build a state program. If I'm a community member in any specific part of the state, ideally, if I go into a doctor, doctor's office, or into an IHS clinic, and I'm, again, screened for food insecurity or I have diabetes or another chronic condition, my doctor would give me a prescription. Ideally, we would really want them to be digital, but they may be paper vouchers in some places of the state where that's a better fit. Um, a voucher that says you have $20 for the next two weeks to go towards fruits and vegetables. You know, this will look different if I'm on Navajo. We want to leave that open for frozen vegetables and things that are maybe not as fresh for communities who don't have the infrastructure they need at their house to keep things refrigerated. Um, in other parts of the state, this will look like a CSA box coming to my house that's been prescribed by a doctor. And so we're really trying to learn how this program is going to work this year and then bolster it up with federal funds. So at the same time that the state is investing this 500000 working with our nonprofit partners, because we know community sometimes does things better than state government, so working alongside community partners, and then looking at federal funding through Medicaid to fund this program long term so that anywhere in the state, if I have a chronic condition or, again, I'm experiencing food insecurity, my doctor will prescribe this voucher that'll increase my personal and my household and my family's access to fresh fruits and vegetables. It would be so interesting to be able to have programs like this all over the country and then in 10 years do the math on health outcomes. 
Absolutely. And what's what's really, I mean, this program, because it's a national model, although I will say, and I, I believe New Mexico, there's not very many states who are taking a state approach. I think there's Minnesota, maybe a handful of other states where there's state funding to really build this out. So it's something for us to be really deeply proud of. Our partners on Navajo Nation, as an example, have already done a, t- a ton of research and they saw immediate decreases in food insecurity for obvious reasons. You're providing no cost access to high quality food for families on a regular basis, as well as short term outcomes around issues of obesity and weight and other things like that. So there is actually data to support that. And that is a huge piece of this initiative also that we're really, really proud of. Um, this initial 24.7 million that we secured The governor's vision is really to make sure that it's strategic and radically transparent and very, very obvious to community partners, our legislators, where the money is going, how it's being used, and that there's shared outcomes across all of these programs. In food systems work, we tend to sort of piecemeal strategies or fracture them as if they're not connected, as if a food system shouldn't be serving food insecure people, also serving our farmers and ranchers. And so her vision is to have short and long-term outcomes that we can track on a monthly basis, annual basis, and in the long range that can show where these funds are going, who they're serving, and what the immediate and long-term impacts are. And so we're really excited to to build that out. That is a, for folks that aren't deeply embedded in food systems work and don't understand the sort of challenges with data in these programs, it may not sound like that heavy of a lift, but it's, you know, when you think about even as a student in a school accessing multiple child nutrition programs, a breakfast program, a lunch program, a snack program, a supper program, a weekend backpack program, for example, all of those programs use different metrics for success, different units, different measurements. And so at the federal level, it's extremely bureaucratic. So at the state level, our federal programs are also bureaucratic, mismatched, and sometimes don't make a ton of sense. And so we're really trying to take a a very innovative, forward-looking approach to how do we have a streamlined way of measuring success across these various programs, both on the food insecurity side and the farming side? So it's a heavy lift. And we hope, I hope next time we connect, I have a tangible model for you. But that's sort of the thinking or the, the stew that we're in right now. One of the things that I think is so tricky is, I mean, you have, as you say, you have different agencies, you have different levels of government, federal, state, local and so on. You've got nonprofits. Sometimes you have redundant nonprofits who are Mm -hmm. all doing the same thing and maybe even in competition for grants and things like that. So you're trying to basically through the vehicle of state government, get them all working like a well-oiled machine. Yes. Also a very challenging task. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So when, you know, this initiative, again, we were very clear that This framework is for state government. We're not telling local government what to do. We are certainly not telling tribal government what to do. We are not telling nonprofits what to do. We are telling ourselves what to do and really, again, putting state government to work. We have 12 plus agencies, and that was the governor's vision, putting them to work on this issue of hunger immediately. What are some of those 12 agencies? Like, what are we talking about? So a few examples. So like our aging and long-term services who serve our senior population, our early care education departments. They serve preschools and Head Starts, daycares, public education departments. That's our schools, our Department of Ag, our general services department who oversees procurement, our Department of Finance Administration, who are the budget folks, Department of Health, Human Services Department, it goes on and on and on. Um, And these agencies already work together on many different initiatives that are priorities for this office and for this administration. So we're building off the legacy of, again, agencies coming together around really complex, wicked problems and the food system, food insecurity piece is the framework for the Food Farm and Hunger Initiative. As you said, you don't tell 
local governments, tribes, or nonprofits what to do, and yet you are engaging them all in this process. Yes, absolutely. So how does that work? This We led a, a sort of six to eight month community participatory process. So to build out this framework or the first iteration of the framework, it'll continue to change. Resources will change, partners will change, priorities may change, but to have, again, a, a roadmap or a pathway forward that state government is on and that we can sort of walk the talk and invite others to join us. And that pathway, that shared pathway is, again, we're not asking nonprofits or telling other, other entities what to do, but we are providing a general direction for state government and inviting other people to join us. So throughout this process, we met for hours and hours and hours weekly with a number of different partners. We had nonprofits, people that are cooking food for schools and for senior meals. We had local governmental entities, councils of government, tribal partners, all who were at the table to help craft this vision. And so rather than us prescribing the pathway forward or the vision, we really created a lot of space in a very, I would say, radical way that government's not typically used to doing and inviting all those entities in that you just mentioned. And so they were a part of the creation of this vision. So we will continue to put the all hands on deck approach and use all our resources to address this problem, this large problem around hunger and our, and our defunct food system and just hope that other entities will join us. And so that's, that's sort of what it looks like in this moment. When you look down the line, five, 10, 20 years from now, what do you hope to see? Like, what does that vision look like? I think my, my own gut reaction to that is that in each county, in e each community, in each tribe, you know, we have a, there isn't sort of a patchwork checkerboard issue of different programs and different funding streams that were really for each place, each community, we'll use counties as an example. There is like truly a, an integrated approach to food systems work in each of those places. And the other, you know, the vision that we're still figuring out how this is going to work out, counties and communities should also have a, an ongoing sort of autonomy and, and voice in this process. So ideally, you know, quarterly or, or twice a year, we would be getting direct feedback from counties and tribes and regional entities on how this framework is going for them, their vision on what needs to change, and strategies for, again, local government, county government, tribal government to really opt in and join us on this effort. And so that's the other piece that's not completely ironed out, but it's a critical part of the success of this initiative. It cannot just be state government. It can't be the executive. We really have to work hand in hand with our community partners, our local partners. So an integrated approach, let's just take Mora County. I'm a person in Mora County who's farming or ranching. How would my life change? I'm a person in Mora County who doesn't have enough to eat, is not able to fully feed my family, how would my life change? Mm -hmm. And sometimes those people are the same, right? Yeah. That's also something that was regularly brought to our attention by our partners. So I would say currently, if I am a grandma and I am raising a child, in, and I'm in any county, but we're using Mora as an example, I wanted to go access a meal and I wanted my, my grandkids and the, the kids that I'm raising to access a meal, I would have to go different places. I would have to go to different times, perhaps, to go see different programs, different contacts. So that's an example. As a family, you know, an integrated approach looks like the state taking a very aggressive stance on really bundling these services. So again, as a, as a grandma who's raising kids, I don't have to go to three different places to get meals. I can go to one place at one time, and these pr the programs, really putting the impotence on the programs themselves and the state and the school districts and the senior centers to work together to make sure that as a family, I'm not having to go multiple places. That should be the same service. So that's an example on the on the sort of nutrition side. For farmers and ranchers, and say a rancher in Mora, it would be the same thing. 
you know, my food would be provided through those programs in one place for any community member that wanted, ideally at no cost, free to low cost. And I'm not having to go to four different contacts to talk through four different sets of food safety regulations and four sets of vendor requirements to get my food, this product that I am deeply proud of, into, you know, one mechanism or one vehicle for a hungry family. So we, you know, we heard that loud and clear. New Mexico's regulatory system for food, like other sectors, is challenging for farmers. It's confusing. And currently, while the state has been leading, I think, nationally in our institutional programs, so getting local mora-raised produce or meat into our institutions like schools and senior centers, each of those entities still has different expectations, different regulations, different requirements. And so, again, the state really taking it on ourselves to create a streamlined, uniform process for anybody who wants to access these resources. And so does that mean there would be a kind of streamlined meat processing system? Like right now, it's so hard for people to process their livestock. Yeah. Yeah, the meat, and I am not a, I am not an expert in, um, you know, meat supply chain, value chain work, but I do know that it is, you know, our institutional programs require that the product be USDA certified. And while New Mexico is in this interesting transition right now, we are now going back, moving back to the state inspected plants and the state's taking back that program. And there is more resources going into processing plants and things like that. Our system is still quite dysfunctional, which is why many producers are taking their product out of state, right? And maybe it's coming back, but it most likely is not coming back. So yes, the meat value chain would be one of those, you know, ranching is a huge part of our agricultural sector. It's a huge piece of our culture and a sound way to to manage our resources in many parts of the state. So that is one sort of value added product that we would love to see be a bit more functional. I've wondered over the years, I mean, it's easy to build up regulations to the point where they become the red tape that people complain about, it's much harder to undo them and still have a functional system because regulation is essential to the functioning of a society. Yeah. 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 That is, um, you know, one piece of this framework that we are excited about. And again, we're asked for by farmers and ranchers is to really look at the the regulatory landscape of even just our food safety regulations alone. Um, the food code in New Mexico, and I, I'm not an expert in this, but we do have, when you compare it to other states, and Utah keeps being brought to me as an example, there's one agency, one set of rules, there's one set of code, and that's it. That's where I go. I understand as a farmer anywhere in the state of Utah that this is how it works. In New Mexico, we have three entities who are overseeing food code and food regulation, and that's just on the food safety side. And sort of, it depends on the agency's interpretation of the federal code. And so it sounds like it's a bit messy and confusing and convoluted for our agricultural producers who just want to produce safe, clean, good food for their community. And so that is one piece that we're, you know, will be looking into, into the future. If you want to fix that and make a model that's more like Utah's, who does that? Is that an administrative thing? Is that something that has to go through the legislature? So the this framework that, again, is still, you know, we're still in the final phase of putting all the pieces together, but there's three different vantage points of the framework. There's budget, which we, we did in, the, in this last legislative session, that $24 million that we secured for this larger initiative. 
there's legislation, so things like changing procurement code, et cetera. And then there's also a set of strategies around administration. So while that's not as maybe interesting to external stakeholders, it's critical to repurposing government to make things easier and more efficient, but still protecting the consumer, right? We would never get rid of food safety regulation at whole. We would never get rid of anything or, or encourage or recommend anything that would put communities at risk. But you know, one of the three key strategies in this framework is to really ramp down where needed or make things more streamlined or efficient, or in some cases there need, may need to be additional administrative oversight or additional legislation to make things a bit more clear. The food safety, food code issue is something that we hope our agencies will work together on with key stakeholders, farmers and, and other entities to really look at how to simplify that process across the state. So that would be an administrative strategy. A lot of farmers in the state are looking at or practicing regenerative agriculture, which is all about basically building soil instead of depleting it. Erosion is a huge invisible problem. I mean, when somebody says, oh, a millimeter of topsoil or two millimeters are blowing away every year, and somebody says, so what? Well, it's, it's a huge amount of soil over the years, and when you regenerate soil, when you fix broken water cycles and so on, you really are able to make the land more productive and make farmers happier and healthier and things like that. Where does regenerative agriculture fit into this framework? So we have a large swath of partners and stakeholders who care about food and farming in this state. So the framework that we have built in collaboration with community all over the state is not going to prescribe a specific way to grow food. That's not the place of state government to do that. It's not the place of the executive. We are excited about incentivizing certain practices that we know work. So things like expanding the healthy soil program is an obvious immediate, you know, that and there is a million dollars in the in this first initial budget to expand that program. So the role of regenerative and sustainable ag and organic when appropriate we will look to financial incentives, tax incentives, things like that, that again, put more dollars in farmers and ranchers' pockets to do things that will conserve and protect our natural resources in the future. And sequester carbon. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And another piece of that that is very complex is this issue of, which was brought by um, during this last legislative session, this idea of fallowing, right? And paying and incentivizing farmers to fallow land to conserve resources when needed. So in this framework, we really began to think about what it would look like through tax incentives or other financial incentives to encourage producers to move from water intensive crops. And I, again, not calling it any specific crop, but I will use alfalfa and pecans as an example to shift from growing those products that are key commodities for certain agricultural industries, right? We need alfalfa for our animals. We do enjoy pecans and we need them in some diets. People eat pecans regularly really helping those entities with our dollars, incentivizing the shift from water intensive crops over to things that are a bit less resource intensive and more appropriate for current New Mexico as well as the future of New Mexico in terms of our arid landscape. I had a gentleman on Down to Earth who was a pecan farmer who was growing cover crops Mm. in his orchard and then grazing animals on them and building soil organic matter. And so the water is retained in the soil Mm. at an extraordinary rate compared to what it was before and is teaching other people to do that. So it's nuanced. There's ways, there's different ways of growing pecans and growing crops like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a very good point. Yeah. So we've talked about some of the individual pieces of this program that you're looking at. What are some others that are exciting to you? I'm really excited about 
getting the framework out, having it be public. I mean, our feet have already been, we've already dug our heels in. Um, it's been months since we've began this initiative that is the Food, Farm, and Hunger Initiative, which is our initial budget request in the last legislative session. I'm just looking forward to getting the roadmap out so people have a very clear understanding of their place in it. This $24 million was the largest investment ever made in New Mexico's food system. It's been greatly overdue. This should have been done decades ago. And in this administration, this became a priority, and so we got it done. And so I'm excited to see this this pot of funds and the outcomes grow over time. You know, $10 million of this $24 million is for basic infrastructure, innovative projects across the state that are looking at cold storage and distribution and mobile grocery markets. We need startup funds and we need initial investment in to get these initiatives off the ground. Mobile grocery stores. Yes, things like mobile grocery stores that are massive reefer trucks that will help serve very remote rural communities that the, ultimately the market has failed. Taking that as an example, who would run that? Would that be a private business or would that be the state or something else? So that specific example is our dear partners at Food Depot here in Santa Fe. They already do a small mobile grocery model, but it's so small that they can't serve a lot of communities. They have to come back and forth to Santa Fe because it doesn't hold enough food. And so this was really their vision. And again, with support from the state through this framework and financial support through this budget initiative to invest in, I think it's a 15 foot like a large reefer truck. Is, does that mean a refrigerated truck? So it is going to be refrigerated. It'll have freezer space. Their vision is to really partner with the state on getting local produce and local meat and also using products that they get through the food bank network and taking those products to communities so that they can walk in and again, bring have a bag, choose what they want and shop rather than having a food box distributed to them that may not be what they or their family need. And that would be run by a nonprofit entity like the Food Depot. That would be, that example would be a nonprofit entity who's been doing the work forever and, and doing amazing innovative work with support and in partnership with the state. And that brings up something else, which is very important that you kind of alluded to, which is that there are great cultural differences where food is concerned. So you have to account for that. Absolutely. We heard that loud and clear from our partners, and also that's the way that, that this administration has done business, is we're not going to, again, prescribe strategies. It's really working with different communities to see what they need and giving them the resources they need to get it done. And so I am very excited to see immediate positive outcomes and for us to grow this pot so that the state legislature, in partnership with the executive, have a place in investing in food system innovation projects across the state, and that we're not forcing these entities to rely on private funds and federal funds solely, that there is a place for the state of New Mexico to really take an assertive and aggressive role in addressing food insecurity across the state. Do you see this kind of thing in some ways paying for itself? I mean, I think of the example of people being prescribed healthy food. Well, there's money set aside, our, our tax dollars for that, but then those people are healthier. And so it pays for itself in fewer doctor's bills, and also healthier people being able to go work and get jobs and pay taxes and things like that. Absolutely, right? Mental health, physical health, spiritual health, that's all connected to, you know, if I'm a child, my ability to learn. As an adult, my ability to go be a productive member of the workforce, right? It's all interconnected. And so to use the the governor's words, these investments pay for themselves. I think that what this points to is, I mean, I have witnessed over the course of my lifetime the last 40 years of a very concerted effort to discredit the role of government mm. in helping people. We know the the biggest lie, I'm from the government, I'm here to help you. What you're doing is you're actually engaging the power of government, it seems to me, 
to actually work with people to do what this state needs in ways that they can't necessarily muster up in their own local communities. Yeah, and and again, you know, private entities can only do so much. And in New Mexico and across the country, you can see examples of market failure all over the place. There is a role for government in this work. There is a place for the state of New Mexico to invest in a grocery store that's on Navajo Nation, as an example. There is a place for financial resources and the administrative power of, of government to really address really complex problems that the private sector is not going to solve. You know, and then the other piece of this in the long-range plan, yes, there's the initial dollar investments in this key infrastructure, but there's also investment in education. We know that people need better support to know how to cook food. We know that children need to understand how to grow food. We know that farmers need more education and technical assistance for them to scale up and learn how to conserve and protect our natural resources. So I just want to make that clear, too. In this framework, there is, yes, putting government to work now. And then there's also this clear focus on education and support for community to to just reconnect to food and growing food and eating food and cooking food in a day where that's not a reality for a lot of our communities. Kendall Chavez is food and hunger coordinator in the office of Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham here in New Mexico. Anything else before we go? No, just thank you for the opportunity, and I'm very excited to see this initiative grow over time. And yeah, we're really looking forward to New Mexico being a leader in addressing this really complex problem of our food system failure and issues of hunger and, and food insecurity across the state. It would be nice if other states could look to New Mexico and say, we want to do what they did. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. You've been listening to the NM Cool podcast. If you want to learn more about the New Mexico Coalition to Enhance Working Lands, visit nmcool.org, that's n-m-c-e-w-l.org, where you can listen to other episodes of this podcast and learn more about our members' work and ways you can get involved.